Good thing we don't have to have it all together to come to worship, right? I'm falling apart right here in front of you. Uh, I add my greetings to what uh, those of you have already heard and, and do want to extend a happy Mother's Day uh, to everyone uh, who's here. I also know that this is a heavy day for many folks. There are many people uh, that are having their first Mother's Day without their mom. Uh, several mamas that are having Mother's Days that are uh, unexpected, unexpectedly difficult for various reasons. And whatever, uh, wherever you find yourself this morning, my prayer is that, uh, that the unconditional love of Christ will meet you freshly. Uh, we are grateful for his faithfulness, and as we turn to his word, uh, we will be looking at the fresh, informative reality of what it means to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Uh, his love, it bursts all of the boundaries that our dry and crusty religion oftentimes creates. It it explodes the religious ritual and paradigms that we too often allow. He is our bridegroom, and we need to make room in our hearts for his love and his work. So please join me in reading our passage from Mark chapter 2, verses 18 to 20. Hear the word of the Lord. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, and people came and said to him, Why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it. The new one from the old, and a worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed, and so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. Please join me in this call and response. All flesh is grass, all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Before we study the word of the Lord, will you join me in turning to the Lord of the word in prayer? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness and grace, and I do pray that your love would fill our hearts in this whole place. Lord, I do pray that you would comfort those in need of great comfort this morning, and that you will empower rejoicing for those that are rejoicing. In all things, we pray, Lord, uh, that you would, by your spirit, set apart our hearts to receive your word. It is um, comical that you're pleased to use one that too often defines himself by his own work and his own shame uh, to talk about, boast about your work and your love that frees us from all of our sin and all of our shame. Lord, would you do what only you can do? Would you revive our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So... I was riding in an Uber, and I had a fascinating conversation with my driver. Uh, she was a very wounded woman, a single mom. Uh, she had a very sick son and a wayward daughter. And she discovered that I was a Christian when I started asking her where her faith was. Where, where was she finding the strength to carry on? Very heavy story. It was kind of a long Uber ride that went far deeper than I expected. <laughs> but I found my heart bursting with compassion. I was very burdened to care. And when she found out I was a Christian, she started listing all the ways that she was trying to make things better. 
she spoke in an extremely transactional way. She said, you know, I go to church, I read the Bible, sometimes I pray, but life still gets difficult. Nothing changes. And she was trapped in this religious mentality that if she was doing certain things for God, then almost God was obligated to make things better for her, as if it's some sort of slot machine or or business transaction that you make. If I do this, God will bless me. I was trying to explain to her that real hope comes not from our own work for God, but God's work for us. Not that we show us the fact that we want to impress him, but his amazing love for us. And I was just, I wanted to clearly communicate God's extravagant love. And we had already been sitting uh, outside of the destination talking for a while. And I said something that uh, really uh, probably was very unwise. I looked at her and I said, ma'am, how big of a tip do you want? And she said, excuse me? And I repeated the question, this time with more clarity. I said, I want to give you the tip that you want. How big of a tip do you want? Name it. She looked at me, stunned. She sat there in silence long enough for me to be very uncomfortable. And realizing, (laughs) I think I just made a horrible mistake. How much was she going to ask for? And if she asked for an extravagant sum, then I was going to have to figure out how to cover it. I wanted to highlight God's extravagant love. I was so burdened. And she sat there thinking about how big of a tip she wanted. And you will never guess what she said. What would you say? If you were asked for a blank check of a tip, I'm convinced that faith in Jesus Christ is exactly like that moment. That God offers you and I the richness of his love, the power of his promises, the freedom of his forgiveness, the hope of his sovereign grace, that our Father looks down upon us in unconditional, abounding love, and he says, how much do you want? And we're so untrusting and so addicted to our control and so eager to prove ourselves and try to adhere to certain religious rules that we have become far too familiar with it, that we don't even know how to answer. How much do you want? The context of this passage is is Jesus feasting with tax collectors and sinners. It comes in three, uh, five different narratives where the Pharisees and the scribes were escalating in their conflict with Jesus. And each time he reveals something new about himself. You remember when the paralytic was brought to him, uh, Jesus revealed himself as more than a healer. Before he said, get up and take your mat and walk, he said, I forgive you of your sins. He's more than a healer. He forgives sins. And and in the last time we were in Mark 2, we saw Jesus teaching by the Sea of Galilee. And he's more than a teacher. He he called Levi to follow him, and he he feasted with tax collectors and sinners. And here we're going to see in this 
question, this rising conflict between the religious Pharisees and, and Jesus Christ, God himself, that Jesus is more than just a religious ritual. He's a God who loves you and he wants relationship and he wants to give you abundantly more than you can ask or imagine. Next week, we're going to see that Jesus is more than a holy day. He's the holy one. And finally, at the climax of the conflict between the Pharisees, the religious teachers, and Jesus in this section of Mark, we're going to see he's far more than someone that's just a threat. He's a savior that can be trusted. But Jesus was feasting in the previous scene. You see it in verse uh, 17, um, oh, at verse 16, right above. The question was, why does he eat? Why does he feast with tax collectors and sinners? And now the question from John's disciples and Pharisees were fasting and the people came and said, why does Jesus' disciples, uh, why did the disciples of the Pharisees and John fast while your disciples do not fast? Do you fast? You might answer that question simply, well, not since breakfast, right? Yeah, that's Pharisees, they taught that you should fast twice a week. Fasting in the Jewish culture had become something that was a very, very prominent, a priority in the religious practice. But ironically, the Old Testament only taught in Leviticus that you were required to fast once a year. And that was part of the Day of Atonement. But the Pharisees, who put laws around laws to try to protect their piety and display their patriotism to real, really communicate their prestige to everyone religiously, they publicly practiced fasting, Luke says in 18, twice a week. Jesus condemns this public practice and this portrayal of piety to all the world in, in Mark, uh, Matthew 6. And Jesus says, you know, when you fast, uh, you need to do so where only your heavenly father sees you. Jesus doesn't condemn fasting. Jesus himself fasted 40 uh, days in the wilderness. The New Testament church fasts, Acts 13. That's when the first missionaries were sent out from there. Uh, there is fasting all through the Old Testament. Moses, Elijah, 40 days. Uh, they fast at times, uh, needing a revival, fast of corporate repentance. The, the question is not whether or not fasting is good or bad. The question is put to Jesus, how come you're feasting with tax collectors and sinners and the Pharisees, who are obviously religious people, and the disciples of John, they're fasting. And it was shown that they were fasting. And Jesus responds by using an image of feasting and celebration, that of a wedding. And Jesus says in verse 19, can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? Now, implicitly, Jesus is claiming to be the bridegroom of his people. And this is super significant. If you're, a, if you're a student of the Old Testament, then you know all through the Old Testament, God reveals himself as the bridegroom for his people. The relationship that he communicates, his love for his people is an unconditional commitment like a groom makes to a bride. You'll read about it in Psalms, all through the prophets. Uh, you hear in Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel. And most notably, you remember the story, Hosea where the actual wedding of Hosea to Gomer was the message that God wanted to give to his people. 
Even in Revelation 19, the picture of God's relationship with his people is one of Christ returning to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And so Jesus is implicitly claiming to be the Lord. I am that bridegroom. I am God. But he's also doing something more than that. Because weddings are times of feasting, fellowship, and, and celebration. And that is what Jesus invites us to. Now, in our congregation, we have really celebrated a lot of weddings lately. We're excited about that. Eric and Molly Schluter got married a while ago. Uh, Ian and Adrian Miller got married a while ago. Uh, ben and Ashley Quirk got married last weekend. Jake and Paige McKenzie got married yesterday in Austin in this great moment. After the uh, You May Kiss the Bride, it was this embrace of Jake of his bride. You know, everybody loves it. And that embrace, that, that covenant vows and commitment, that's what Jesus is saying he's here for. It is not this religious ritual of do you? Yes. Do you? Yes. Now prove it. You know, earn my love through your performance. Now we know if, if you're at a wedding and someone's gloomy and not eating at the reception, like, you know that person's got a problem. It's true. And you would go up to that person and you would ask them, is everything okay? I mean, you know where you are, right? This is, this is a time of feasting. Go grab it all. This is a time of celebration. Get on the dance floor. Let's party. And even more, you want to see somebody party at a reception, you got to watch Alex Solorio on the dance floor. <laughs> My man can bust a move. And you think when he preaches, he's pulling out the pastor rag? You've seen nothing. You've seen nothing, right? Yes, God. But in the ancient Near East, after the wedding ceremony, you remember how big the ceremony is at the wedding of Cana, where Jesus does his first miracle in John chapter 2. The groom and the bride would actually stick around for a week. They would be there. And the expectation was that you would feast with them. The expectation was that you would consume a lot of food and a lot of drink and tell a lot of stories and laugh a lot and have a tremendous amount of joy. And Jesus just says it. Uh, hey, you know what? As long as they have the bridegroom, they cannot fast. You cannot fast if you've got the bridegroom. It's only a feast. The people's question, the heart of it, it isn't about why Jesus is fasting. The question, the heart of it, is about relationship. What does it mean to really, really relate to God? And Jesus reveals himself as God made flesh with us, wanting to have an intimate, joyous, feasting, celebratory relationship with you. Now, think about this in normal terms. Many of us, uh, we're very comfortable with religious activity. We like boxes that we can check. We are okay with transactional relationships. Most of those mark most of our lives. But if you think about real relationship, let's just use Mother's Day for an example. Now, mamas should be celebrated right? You should be. All right. We're all grateful for you, mamas. We're, I'm grateful for my mama. We're grateful for all of y'all here and people in our lives that have been mamas to us, even when we don't have mamas. But can you imagine a scenario where a child 
is just checking boxes. Why'd you get me this card? Because I had to. You brought me breakfast in bed. Thank you. Yeah, well, you're welcome. I'm going to go play video games now. As long as I just check that box. It is so nice of you to get me these flowers and gifts. That is great. Yeah, well, you're welcome. I'm going to go play with my friends now. I did what I did, right? You happy? You hear that and you're like, well, that's an ungrateful kid. Some of you kids are in here like, dang it, exposed. <laughs> right? Busted. Yeah. Well, here's the truth. If you act that way to your mom, they still love you. The love's still there. You're just missing out on the substance of relationship, the transforming power that comes with really allowing your mamas to celebrate you and for you to celebrate your mom. The point isn't checking boxes. The point is heart engagement. And we know that on a practical level, but Jesus wants you to know it on a relationship with God level. And I want to tell you something. When you're able to trust the Lord with all of your heart in relationship and love and affection, he will give you abundantly more than you can ask or imagine. And you don't believe me. We don't trust his love. I'm telling you, a relationship with Jesus explodes the religiosity that we're too often familiar with. And that's what Jesus does in these next two parables. He says it. He basically says, my relationship, my love for you, isn't something you just schedule in. It's not something that you just add on. If you try to, if you try to enter into this celebratory festival love with me in just a way that just kind of patches it onto your normal schedule, your normal routine, your normal life, it is completely incompatible. Mitchell, explain. Well, look at the illustrations that he uses. No one can sew a piece of verse 21 of unshrunk cloth onto an old garment. If he does, a patch tears away the new one from the old and the tear is worse afterwards. Now, basically what he's saying is if you've got a piece of cloth and you've got a hole in your garments and you try to put an unshrunk cloth on there, you sew it on there real good. When you get out in the weather and the elements, the cloth shrinks. Uh, if you don't shrink it first and it will tear the garment and make a bigger hole. If you think about it like in terms of a sail, right? A sail is a little easier for me. It's a, a bigger image. Uh, but if you have a hole in your sail and you put a new piece of cloth on it, you sew it on there real good, you go out in the sun and the rain, and, and what happens to that cloth is if it's, if it's uh, unshrunk, it'll start to shrink. And where you sewed it onto the sail, it'll actually pull it away and you've got a bigger hole in your sail. You can't just sew relationship onto religion. <laughs> it's just going to tear a bigger hole in your life. Secondly, he says, look, in verse 22, he said, no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed, and the skins are destroyed. Now, new wine put into old wineskins, that's not real common. I mean, no one in here ever used the phrase wineskin in the past month. Hey, can you hurry up? We're waiting on you. Hold on, I'm just trying to get my new wineskin together. Nobody said that. Hey, can you go by a central market on the way home, H-E-B, and, and get some wine for me? Make sure it's in the new wine skin. Nobody says that. Completely foreign, but here's why it's significant. Uh, wine skins were actually animal skins. And animal skins, once they're older, they get dry and crusty, right? And wine, when it's new, it ferments and it bubbles more and it actually expands. And if you're putting new wine into an old, crusty, religious casing, 
then that is going to expand and you're going to lose the wine and you're going to lose the wineskin. When we come to Christ in personal relationship, it is never, well, now you have, and you come to Jesus, now you've got something to do on Sunday morning. It never is about, hey, now that you've come to Christ, you can work in having a quiet time three to four times a week and then worship a couple times a month when it's convenient. Oh, and pray before meals or when you're in trouble or you have a test. No. Jesus does not qualify as some sort of, uh, what's it called when you're in college and you don't have a core requirement uh, for a class, you don't need it, but uh, it's just, a, what, what was that word? Elective. As if the Son of God came to show his love for us, to live the perfect life for us, to die the death we deserve so that we could have it as an elective. <laughs> That's not love. The Bible calls us new creations. The old has gone. The new has come. New wine and new wineskins. That is what God has come to do. And he will, when you give your heart to him, he will explode your crusty and duty-filled obligation that is self-promoting and comforting because you can control your religious engagement and schedule it in and make yourself feel good. He explodes that because your primary identity is no longer found in anything in this world, but you're a child of God. You're part of a new family. Your primary community is his body. It's the church. And your primary purpose, your mission, is completely transformed to the kingdom of God. It explodes all the old paradigms that we're comfortable with. And Jesus said it uh, right in verse 17 before this passage, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I came to call not the righteous, but sinners. And religious people can't have a relationship with Jesus because we won't acknowledge that we're sick and need forgiveness. We feel better about ourselves because we check certain boxes and we have a transactional relationship rather than a transforming relationship. You see, the gospel is such better news than you can do, than you can understand on your own. It's a beautiful picture of the groom of God that has made vows and commitment to you. And so I ask you, I wonder if your life is feeling a little flat, your joy is feeling a little empty. Most of the time I find that when I am in that place, it's because I'm taking my own work more serious than the Lord. I'm unplugged from really trusting my heart and relationship to Jesus. I wonder if you're like me and you struggle with defining yourself by your own work and on good days, you feel pretty good about yourself, but on bad days, when you realize you messed up, you feel a lot of shame and you want to hide. <laughs> That's not God's design. That's actually a symptom of what Adam and Eve brought into the world and their sin and rebellion, realizing that they had sinned, they hid from God. But just like the woman at the well, Jesus comes and he sees you fully and he loves you completely. And he doesn't love you based on your own work and your own performance. 
Jesus loves you because he made you for himself. And if you are in here today and, and you say, well, I, I've always understood Christianity as religious ritual. I grew up in a church where confirmation, I went through confirmation, I, I could answer all the questions. If you grew up in a church and in a church you feel like, well, I, 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 most of the time I do the right thing, I'm a pretty good person, right? That's not Christianity. You need to repent. And you need to realize that our sin leaves us in need of a savior. God doesn't relate to us as if it's some sort of scale. Where, okay, you've been doing pretty good, so the bad things that you've been doing are over here. Oh, made some bad decisions Friday night? Well, at least you came to church Sunday morning, right? Okay, all right. Well, you did this at work. You, you didn't, weren't really honest with your taxes? Well, that's not real good. Oh, you came to a Bible study and prayer meeting, and so there we go. Now I love you again. Guys, that's not how God looks at you. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Our greatest work cannot earn favor in God's sight. God loves you and demonstrated his love that while you were his enemy still, he died for you. It's amazing love and amazing grace. Come to Jesus personally. But if you do know Christ and if you're anything like me and you still struggle with this crusty old wineskin and the old dirty rags of your own self-righteousness, and join me in repenting and returning to real relationship with Jesus. I mean, this, this happened to me this week on our National Day of Prayer. So encouraged and excited by the leadership for prayer in our congregation, the, the amount of folks that are really calling upon the name of the Lord. Very grateful for those that are leading uh, in, in this effort, but really humbled by folks that are praying. I found in my own heart something. This is a time of, of confession to you. I found myself that Thursday morning uh, praying for all of these different things and just asking, God, do this. God, do that. God, will you show me this? God, and it was in prayer. It was as if the Spirit said to me, well, what about me? This conversation is a lot about what you want me to bless. But what about me? And in that moment of prayer, I just had this freeing time of repentance. My prayer wasn't about relationship. I was using God as if I'm praying so the prayer time's gonna go well, the lunch will go well, the dinner tonight will go well, all of this stuff is gonna go well because I'm praying, God, rubbing my lucky rat, religious rabbit foot, all right. And in God's grace, he just said, you're settling for far too little. I love you, I'm enough. And I was able to just drop my agenda and just celebrate prayer, relationship with my king. And maybe it's not prayer for you. Maybe it's some other aspect of your life where you feel like you're, or where you, whether you feel like it or not, you're just using God for yourself. Join me in repenting and returning to God. He loves us and he wants all of your heart. You know, it doesn't have to just be a prayer life where we're transactional. Some of us are transactional in our motivation. We obey God because we're afraid he's going to be mad at us rather than knowing he loves us. 
A lot of us struggle with feeling self-worth in our own performance and not finding it in God's performance for us. But wherever you are, he wants to overwhelm you with his extravagant love. And that's what I was talking to the Uber driver about. You'll never guess what she asked for. She had no idea who I was. I was wearing a blazer. I didn't look good, but I'll tell you, it didn't look bad. You know what I mean? <laughs> and I, I was plain. I said, you can have whatever tip you want. She looked at me and she said, can I have $5? I said, $5? All you want is $5? I gave her her $5 and a lot more. And all more wasn't monetary. I said, you know why I asked you that? She said, no. I said, because in your life, which is very, very difficult, you're looking at God as if you just do a certain things and he's going to turn something around. I said, you don't really trust his love. I said, God reveals himself as a father who loves you more than you understand. I'm sitting in the back of an Uber seat, actually running late at this point. I said, God promises that he can do abundantly more than you can ask or imagine if we just trust him, if we just trust his love. No, it doesn't always change our circumstances. Yes, there's still suffering and there's still struggle in this fallen world. But God's love is in the business of using what the enemy intends for evil and making it good. And I reminded her of the truth of Romans 8, 28. That for those who love God and are called according to his purpose, he's working all things for our good and his glory. And we may not understand that now, church, but I promise you when our bridegroom returns, it is not going to be a checklist to make sure we went to church enough, we went to Bible studies enough, and we gave 5 to 10% of our income. It will be a warm embrace of a God who loves you so much that there is nothing that can separate you from his love that's in Christ Jesus. Nothing in all creation. There's no height, there's no depth, no angels, no demons, no darkness, no struggle. Nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And this is exactly what is dripping from every page of the New Testament, from the Old Testament, from all of God's revelation of who he is and why he did what he did for you, it's for God so loved the world that he sent his only son, that whoever would believe in him and trust his love, that he would give life. And so as we conclude this time, I, I just will do so by reading Paul's prayer. This is my prayer for you. Let's pray together. For this reason, Lord, I bow my knees before you, our Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. I pray that according to the riches of your glory that you may grant us as a church family to be strengthened with all power through your spirit in our innermost being so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. And Lord, that we would know being rooted and grounded in love that we will have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth of your love in Christ. 
and that we would know your love that surpasses knowledge, that we may be filled with the fullness of God. Lord Jesus, we don't want to settle for $5 tips when you have extravagant billions and billions worth of love and grace. Lord Jesus, help us to trust you and transform us with your love, we pray in your name. All God's people said, amen.